0: my career has been unintentional. And someone told me once, no, not unintentional, just unscripted, which I guess is a better way of doing it. Everything I've done has been very intentional. I just never would have thought, long oh, time ago, that this would be where I ended up.
1: Welcome to the Developing Leadership Podcast, hosted by NAOP Colorado. This is a monthly podcast series that we host with business leaders and entrepreneurs within the Colorado commercial real estate community. Tune in to today's episode. My name is is Nick Gitsayev. We are here at uh, River Millie uh, in the Circle Building on Black Street. And uh, this is the Developing Leadership Podcast. Our guest today is Fiona Arnold, uh, Principal with Mainspring Development, President, CEO.
0: Not CEO. I have a CEO now, thank goodness.
1: Chief Curator, (laughs) all things Mainspring Development, uh, local development company. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Fiona's uh path and her career and what she's working on today. Fiona, yeah. I'll kick it off with your your story. What sure. um how did you get started? Mm-hmm. Uh where are you from? How'd you make your way to Denver? Uh and tell us a little bit about your your career path thus far.
0: Sure. Yep. So Fiona Arnold. I'm from Australia originally, been in the States for quite a while, um, five years in Dallas, and then we moved to um, Colorado in two thousand and one. My husband is a School of Mines grad and wanted to come back to Colorado and wear are skiers and mountain people, so made sense. Here we are. Uh, I started my career uh, as an attorney in Australia and worked for Jones Day in Dallas and came to Colorado. I was in-house and um, finished up as general counsel for Vale Resorts for seven years and left there in 2013. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I had an idea on how I wanted to do it and got started and then got called by, um, Governor Hickenlooper to come work for him for a couple of years. So I ran economic development for the state of Colorado for a couple of years for him and then went back to my company, which I had started. Um, so it's so in a nutshell.
1: Awesome. Mm-hmm. So you've got history sort of, well, first internationally, where you're from in Australia. As an attorney, you, you came to the States and, and continued to practice law uh, and then you know, really served in a, in a civic way under the, the governor. How did everything you've done in your, in, your, in your past kind of pre-development inform and educate and inspire you to do real estate development?
0: <laughs> I think I told you this when we were talking that sometimes I say my uh, career has been unintentional. And someone told me once, well, no, not unintentional, just unscripted, which I guess is a better way of doing it. Everything I've done's been very intentional. I just never would have thought a long time ago that this would be where I ended up. So when I when I left their resorts, I promised my family I'd take a year off, which I did to the day, um, until I started working for the governor. Um, but during that time, I bought a warehouse in Rhino. <laughs> so Goes from there. When was that? Uh, so that was 2014.
1: Okay. Yeah. Good timing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. At the time, when I decided what I wanted to do with it, I uh, was working with, um, Steel Street Bank, local bank at the time, which there are very few left. Um, thank goodness because they understood where prices were and what it took to develop an asset like that. So I was able to get financing. But at the time, it was pretty hard because it had such a run up, but of course that wasn't even half the way of where it went. So yeah, it turned out to be good timing. I thought I was at the top of the market, but
1: <clears throat> talk to us about your developments in Denver and, and your activity in Rhino and, yeah. uh,
0: and backyard on Blake. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? You were asking about how all those other experiences yeah. led to what I'm doing. So I probably should answer that. I think it's been a really good combination. So I, I'll, I'm a securities and transactional attorney. And so I had a lot of experience in business and um, uh, and real estate's always a part of a transaction. Of course, I'm not a real estate attorney, but as the transactional attorney, you always have all the spokes on the wheel that you're sort of coordinating in a deal. Uh, and then when I was at Bell Resorts, Bell Resorts did a lot of real estate development at the time. And so I had a pretty big uh, group of real estate lawyers who worked for me. So I definitely had an understanding of basic understanding. I could never practice as a real estate lawyer, but I uh, definitely had a good understanding. I left um, and I always worked at public companies, being a securities lawyer, always worked at public companies. But I really started to get this idea that I wanted to do things differently and I wanted to approach things backwards than the standard traditional way. I got pretty interested in the whole B Corp thing. I got very interested in the idea that you know, up until the sixties, corporations used to place their employees first. Um, but then it's actually, you know, through a series of cases, it actually is a legal requirement that public companies prioritize shareholder profit over everything else. And I'd certainly seen that during my career. You know, employees got a benefit if it helped shareholder profit. That was it. The only reason. Um, you know, all all the other pieces that, you know, you read in reports on what they're doing for the environment or the I was a little jaded, you might say. So it was time to put my money where my mouth was. And so I kind of cashed out my corporate career, so to speak. And that's how I ended up buying my first um, real estate investment. I knew I wanted to start a company where we started with the right decision and then figured out, could we make it pencil? So an example of that is how we do real estate. So back out on Blake was the first real estate project in Rhino. And originally, I was just going to do the warehouse and sell the rest of the land off. I did sell some land off to townhomes um, to help finance the warehouse redevelopment. Of course, now I wish I still had that land, but never mind. Um, I hate selling dirt, but um, I decided I wanted to do more. And what, what happened, it was just going to be a little sideline, and then I was going to decide what I wanted to do. But I was looking at what was happening in Rhino and realizing it was essentially getting built out wall to wall, maximum to the, you know, maximum you can fit in terms of density and bulk plane on a lot. I'm not anti-density. I think density is very important, but you have to mix it up with places that people can be together. And I think I'd just come back from a trip to New York and realized, you know, you're never far in Manhattan from a small little patch of green. And so there are places that you can gather. So what we decided to do instead with that piece was create a courtyard off the warehouse and build a building around it, and then a rooftop on the second story of the new building. And then we offer that space for free to any community um, organizations or nonprofits that want to do events there. What we were trying to do was create a green gathering space. And within not long of that being open, I was talking to someone who lived across the street in Fireclay Lofts. And they said they'd met more people that lived in their lofts since we had opened than they had in five years of living there. Oh. And to me, that was success. That's what we were trying to do. When we, when we first finished Backyard on Blake, if we had tried to sell it, we would have had to pay someone to take it because we spend more on our developments than they're worth the day after they're finished. Because we build for the long term, which brings me to my golden rules, which I'll mention in a moment. To build something that is worth building in your community, if you can sell it the next day and make money on it, I'm going to tell you that wasn't worth building. It's pretty rare that you can buy the land and build something in a thoughtful way for what the community where you're building needs without cutting all kinds of corners on costs and building materials and VE decisions, not setting aside any public space. I I haven't seen a project that I think was worth it. Um, so anyway, now it's a very it so it kind of was like an experiment. Can you do something like that and take all that square footage that is now non income earning because we still own and operate it? We're the landlord, and so you know you got a four thousand square foot courtyard that you're not earning any income on, and same with the rooftop, and we didn't go five stories, etc. Um, and turns out it's really valuable when you do things the right way. We've had 0% vacancy since we opened in 2015, including through COVID. Um, so that's a pretty valuable metric in real estate. We've had unsolicited offers for, um, back out on Blake that have, um, definitely proven that that's a good way to go. Um, even though I had a really successful career, I felt like a total imposter as a real estate developer, as you might imagine. Especially when I'm doing things that way. I'm like, I'm the only crazy person out here. Everybody else is talking about their ROI and their returns. And, and I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> hopefully. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit backwards. So can I share my golden rules?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Please.
0: Yeah. So we're on a podcast. It, uh, you know, I might get bleeped out. So <laughs> that's okay. So, so my first golden rule is no assholes. I hired someone, my first employee, to be our property manager, and when we when tenants were looking at the space, some weren't treating her very well. I said, No, no assholes. this is a community we're building a community. you don't need to deal with them. same thing for our f and b businesses uh you know people always say the customer comes first, no bullshit, your employees come first. If a customer comes in comes in and is not respectful, you can send them out like i I don't care. our employees and our staff come first um same with contractors. Same with clients, customers, no assholes, period. We would rather lose a sale than deal. Life is too short. We have one life. We don't want to deal making, deal with people making their dreams come true. And, you know, basically our days are ruined and miserable because we're dealing with someone. So that's golden rule number one. Gold rule number two for real estate developers is don't shit in your backyard. <laughs> you live here. This is your community. Why would you build something that is not additive to the community? Why would you build something that kills a streetscape and what a you know neighborhood is trying to do? Why would you V out all the materials so it's going to look like hell in five years? Why would you do that? This is where you live. So yeah, those are my two golden rules.
1: And the buildings are going to be there for a long time. They're going
0: to be there for a long time. And this group, you're the developing leaders, you are going to control what this city looks and feels like. We build the built environment. No pressure. No pressure, yeah. <clears throat> Nothing makes me happier than creating experiences, whatever those might be, which is the through line for our company. So, you know, if you look at our company, you're like, oh my gosh, it seems so random and we can get into how we unscripted, how we how we got into doing all these different things. But the through line is experiences. So we build some single family homes. We've done a condo building we're doing a mid-century office building right now we've got food and beverage nothing makes me happier than being a fly on the wall and watching people have an enriching experience for their day when people are maybe in room family and they're having a great time hopefully um enjoying their drinks but the drinks are just the space and the drinks are just the platform for people to be together you know and that that just makes me that fills my heart when I see people having a good time and they they don't know who did it doesn't matter but they're like oh my gosh this this space just speaks to me so yeah that's
1: great yeah. so no assholes and mm-hmm. and don't shit in your backyard don't shit in, yeah yeah yeah
0: some sub some sub rules on the second one
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you know you 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 don't state this as one of your golden rules but you but it it as you said it 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 really rung true for me that you said employees come first because. I think you've leaned into some really, some businesses that, that, that have been challenging sort of at a macro level over the last, uh, three plus years with, with COVID and with, um, you know, uh, mass sort of exodus from the workplace, right? And, and with office, which I want to talk about later, but you. Know, as if you if you set your north arrow or your, your north star sorry as as employees come first, what has that yielded for you and talk to us a little bit about the investment that you make in your workforce and in your your the heart of your businesses
0: Oh yeah, I mean obviously food and beverage has been just extraordinarily hard the last couple of years um it started with blue sparrow that blue sparrow was it actually came out of Backyard on Blake. So we wanted to do, one of the rules of Backyard on Blake was no chains, no out, it had to all be local. We wanted to support local business um, at uh, Backyard on Blake and keep our rents attainable for local businesses, which we've done. So uh met a consultant to help me because I thought, you know, how hard can coffee be? That- turns out we have like three different kinds of water filtration because Denver's water is too clean. Anyway. It's very complicated to to do really good craft coffee. Anyway, I met Jeffrey, and he was a consultant. He was going to help get it set up. Um, That's the only business we own over there. Everybody else is a tenant. But coffee was just so important because it brings people in. And actually, coffee during COVID crushed it. Bars, like, you know, we were killed on the bar side. But coffee killed it because everyone wants to be together. When we get out of their house. Um, So the Blue Sparrow, we have two Blue Sparrows. They did really well. So Jeffrey, here's an example where he came in as a consultant. We really like working together. I asked him, have you ever been an owner? He's like, no. Would you consider it? I would. We like working together. So he then earned his way with sweat equity to a 30% um, ownership in Blue Sparrow. So definitely like to share. So my one of my sub rules is don't always be squeezing. So share the upside. Um, We got really lucky. We built a couple of single family homes and made a lot more on those than we would have thought. And so we cut checks to all of the subs that had bid on the work um, because subcontractors are always being squeezed, always. They're absolutely astounded. But you know what happened? I was having an issue somewhere. My my, I get the pain as I want now. They find me other people to fix things. I mean, you just get when you treat people right and you share the upside, which you should, you know, like, in this industry, we can get treated as the ones who are the big brains, but we're not. You know, it's the people who are doing the work day in and day out. This industry is hard and people work so hard. They deserve to share in the upside. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, one of the other things we did is there's a, is anyone familiar with Prodigy? It's a social enterprise coffee shop. The first one was like at 40th in Colorado. I got kind of involved with Steph. Turns out Jeffrey helped them quite a bit too. Um, we actually turned, we had a mid-century gas station in Globeville that we redeveloped and turned into their second location. They have an apprenticeship program for kids, young adults that have struggled to get through traditional school or hold down jobs. The barista program is just like a, it's just like, um, it's the vehicle for delivering life lessons. Like what bus do you need to catch to get to work? Yes, you have to be here on time. You didn't show up. What happened? Let's like a lot of wraparound services. Customers rude to you, you don't jump over the counter and deck them. I mean, there's like there's all kinds of things. They work with these kids. It's an amazing program. And we have been fortunate enough actually to hire some of their graduates from the apprenticeship program into Blue Sparrow, which is pretty thrilling.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. When you first told me that story, I was uh I I was I was like third party proud of you for uh accomplishing that, for for investing and yeah. and and doing something that you know, is 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 outside of your typical scope, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To to, you know, lead people, um, and, and the vehicles for delivering life lessons is just a such a great sort of way to couch that. Um, you know, it's an apprenticeship program, but it's more about developing them as humans. Yeah, um for sure. and, and creating really valuable uh lessons for them that they can put in place every day. Um, and it's a net benefit that it, it, it benefits, you know, yeah. a, a retail operation that you, that you guys have here.
0: Yeah. Well, they're an, inc- Prodigy is an incredible group. You know, like they just, they're, they, what they deliver is amazing. What we can deliver are the spaces for them. Yeah. That's I'd, our part of the equation. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to
1: meet them and, and yeah, hear sure. more about them. Talk to us about what you're working on now mm-hmm. and what, yeah. uh, what is your shop focused on and, yeah. and, uh, and what do you see in the next six to 12 months?
0: Yep. Um, so we actually just had a meeting last week to try to prioritize because, you know, there's just so many good ideas and there's only so much you can do with a small team. We have a mid-century office building, um, right near the capital, which I think is a really undeveloped area. We can't afford to buy in Rhino anymore. So we're looking at other areas, pretty excited about that. Kind of crazy going into the office space, but we think we have a, we're going to put a blue sparrow in the bottom. Of course, I learned that from Vail Resorts, always keep the beachhead for your own businesses. Mm-hmm. And so that one will be coming on the market next year. Fully, fully spepped out office suites. We'll, that'll do short term to long term, uh, leases. So we think that's the way to go in office for now. Then what we focused on is, and, um, this is an Evan Mikowski saying, like, do the, in a, in a recession, focus on what needs to be done, not what you want to do. One of the projects we had on the books I was really excited about was our off grid hospitality project. So, Think about a like a small four like a Four Seasons room, but off grid. We had a fully engineered and designed. um, But um, a potential recession is not the time to launch a project like that. So we've slowed that project down for a little bit. um, But am excited about that. I think you know Denver's changed quite a bit, and I think people love to get out into the mountains. um, But they also want their high thread sheet, high thread count sheets, and their (laughs) ice and their cocktails at the end of the day, and a hot shower. So that's what we're, um, that's what our, um, hospitality, uh, concept will be doing luxury, but out where you can hike and snowshoe and ski and come back to that. We, um, have a rent to own project that I'm really excited about. Behind the, the gas station that we did for Prodigy, we've got a small two apartment building that'll be our pilot for this program. And, um, it's what it really is. It's a rent to own elsewhere program. And is focused on workforce housing. I think Denver's going to end up, you know, we don't have enough housing that's affordable, but that is the one place that we're focused on for housing in the city of Denver. So we're going to end up with affordable and rich people. And we're going to miss everybody who's in the middle. So the school teachers, the firefighters, you know, the typical, um, you know, groups of people talk about, the government workers, you know. He, the baristas. The, well, yeah, okay. the baristas probably are in the affordable housing, unfortunately. That's a whole other story about wages. Anyway, so really excited about that. The idea came from um deed-restricted housing. I'm just fundamentally opposed to. I think it works in some specific environments like resorts, like Aspen and Vale. you got to do some of that. The problem with deed-restricted housing is it creates a subclass of home ownership that's not real home ownership. Not real home ownership in the sense that you don't get to participate in the upside. And the number one way Americans have hit middle class has been through home ownership. The problem is so many people who've been denied access to home ownership historically and continuing today, um, and that is moving now also into this sort of workforce group, they're the ones that end up in deed-restricted housing, which means, okay, you get the benefit of stability, which is incredibly important. And I don't want to underrate stability of housing as being so important. But what you don't get is any path to wealth creation. So when you're in deed-restricted, as you probably all know, being in real estate, um, you have to qualify firstly, not a big deal. But then your appreciation when you sell your home and you have to sell to another qualifying person is capped at, I don't know, 2% or something. So you buy a deed restricted one bedroom apartment and then you just, you know, you're lucky enough to have children or whatever, your family grows, or the other way around. Your apartment's appreciated by some tiny amount, and then you're gonna try and buy a three bedroom house and you've been in deed restricted for the last five years. Well, you are shit out of luck at that point. So um what we are doing is an idea that is built off how do you do something like that but make it better. We don't want to do rent to own in the building we build because it's hard to figure out how to build stuff and how to pay for it. We were just talking about that. So what we are doing is apartments that you um, have to be up you can be up to 120% of the AMI to qualify to rent in these apartments. And then if you have rented there for two years, you've taken home ownership classes, you're eligible to apply for your deposit to buy a home in the city in which you're renting. And so the, the down, the, the issue, the issue is how do you pay market rent in Denver and save your down, your 20% down payment that keeps growing to buy your home in Denver. And so we are seeding IDF is going to run the fund for us and we are seeding the fund and um who's
1: idf for those uh, who Impact don't know. development
0: fund they do a lot of this in fact they run gary community has a black home ownership fund where they do something similar although it's not the entire deposit to try to help families get into housing who've been historically cut out of housing in denver um they run that program typically so you so that you get a 20 percent um you get your 20 percent funded um zero interest zero repayment until you sell or refinance your home there's about an eight year roll. It said about eight years, it becomes a renewing evergreen fund. Five percent of the gross rentals go into the fund from the landlord of the apartment to continue helping the fund to grow a little. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that program.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, <laughs> you pioneering in that way, uh, is, is, uh, is super bold. Um It's also uh really reflective of your care for the community. So this is a, a developing leadership podcast with a bunch of developing leaders in the room that are under 35 and uh starting out their careers, maybe they're, you know, five, 10 years into their careers here in Denver. And what I really like our uh, audience to hear from our speakers is some lessons, uh, for, you know, what would you have told yourself, uh, you know, when you were, when you were this age, uh, that, uh, that you'd like us to know, um, you've encouraged us not to cut corners. You've encouraged us to invest in the neighborhoods where we live. What are some of the, some of the tenants that have helped you do that? And, uh, and what would you kind of share with the group?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we got some woo girls out the side. My, my 22 year old son calls them woo girls.
1: (laughs) He's a developing leader.
0: Uh, uh, Oh, maybe not yet. He's just trying to, he's just trying to get through see you. I am. I, you know, I'm I'm what am I? Gen X. Forget what I am now, but um, I'm Gen X. And we were, you know, just brought up on nurse the grindstone, work really hard, learn your lessons, put in the yards, earn your stripes. I'm still a believer in that. Um, Try not to let it crush you while you're doing that. But I, I don't think anyone past Gen Y lets it crush them. They move on. So I think working hard with an organization that can teach you is really important. I really do. You know, I'm a subscriber to the 10,000 hour thing. I mean, you just, you you have to put the work in before you launch out on your own. I think don't underestimate the power of ideas. Don't try to throw the imposter thing away and just go for it. I mean, I think everybody has a version of that and we all walk around thinking we're the only ones who have it and everybody else knows exactly what they're doing. Try not to subscribe to this is the way it's done. I, I really, I really think that to make the changes in Denver, in Colorado, in the U.S., in the world that we want to see, for-profit industry is going to have to be harnessed in a real and core way, not just as a little add-on. So hence like the rent-to-own program. If we're going to solve some of these massive issues we have, um, housing and equity, we have got to get for-profit involved, but we've got to get them involved in ways that are creative. And exciting and win-win. And we have to challenge the status quo. I think, um, I mean, I'm all about paying taxes and paying fees. I'm from Australia. You know, I mean, yeah, we like, you take about 40 cents home in the dollar there, but you know what? We have no homeless. We have public bathrooms everywhere that are nice and clean. They're not portalettes and we have beautiful parks and not perfect, but you get what you pay for. This country is clearly never going to tax enough to solve those problems. So we have to figure out how to do. Creative things that harness for profit with private and with government. We actually have a project on the West Slope and Delta that does all that, which I'm pretty excited about. So yeah, I mean, if we don't have housing solutions that are working, let's find new ones.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's all the questions I have. Does anyone from the audience have any questions for Fiona? I'm curious. for an investment in public company, shareholder. Pretty similar, Uh, raising the way that profits would go to your investors. How do you, how do you find partners, lending, equity relationships, you know, and do not have the immediate bond dollar topic? Yeah. So let me repeat it. Sure, go ahead. Uh, The best I can. So you had mentioned that, you know, public companies really view their shareholders as critical and private companies uh, are faced with some of the same dilemmas and challenges where when we raise money on the private market, you know, their investment can sometimes be paramount to employees at a company. Can you share a little bit about sort of
0: how you've solved that? Uh I haven't solved it, but no no surprise I have an opinion. <laughs> I have been fortunate enough having spent, you know, 30 years in corporate to self-finance. So I um have self-financed all my own pro- projects to date with traditional financing. So construction loans and traditional financing. So we kind of finish one and then we roll over to the next. But you know, I've got a pretty good team and we would like to do more. So one of the things we're thinking about is how do we do that? I think it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit of change, a little bit of generational change. For some reason, real estate is viewed as this thing where we should, we should promise these massive returns, but it's just, it's obscene. I mean, honestly, if we're going to build the right kind of buildings, our returns should be maybe just a little bit above what you'd average in the stock market. Like, why are we promising 15% returns? Should be more like 9% maybe, and then maybe you can build the things you need to build. Um, most people aren't delivering those returns anyway. So first off, I think there need to be really honest conversations around what is a reasonable return in real estate. Real estate is a business. I get that. But, like, who loves going to Europe? Who loves going to cities in Italy? Um, I remember going to uh San Gimignano, which is the city that has all the towers. Nobody built those for a return. <laughs> it was basically just, yeah, like, yeah, it was a lot of people trying to impress their other friends about, you know. Anyway, and so they built the biggest tower they could. Um But it... <laughs> If if we only build as merchant developers, we're going to get the city we deserve, which is a merchant built city that was built for profit only and not for the people who live here. Like the 50, tangent, 55 plus communities. Have you seen those? Like, I remember driving past one in Stapleton that was like, like, my God, it looks like a prison. I, I mean, I could live there now. I would die. I'm like, why are we putting 55 year olds all by themselves? Like, no. We need to, we need to have inclusive projects where we have housing right next to perhaps, you know, one of the nonprofits that helps parents and children that have escaped bad situations. You know, like I don't want to wither up and die. I want to like, I want to help. I want to keep working. Like let's, let's build a community where we're all together. Anyway. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sidebar. I think you have to find investors who live in the community and actually start thinking about what their bottom line is. So, you know, you hear like triple bottom line, whatever. If we only judge the return on the real estate development, other projects we do as the profit we make, we are not thinking about the real return. The real return is obviously profit because you want to pay your team really well. I want to make all my people rich. Um, I, There's nothing wrong with being rich, but you got to think about profit. You have to think about the community that you're building in. You have to think about longevity. You got to think about all those things. So the goal is investors who actually family offices are perfect targets. <laughs> family offices that have a lot of money that want to invest in the community they live in. It's pitching to them that your project has a multiple bottom line. And so they're prepared to take maybe like a eight, 9% return because of all the other things that the project's going to do. I don't know, Is that It's my opinion. Whether it works or not, we'll see.
1: (laughs) And and maybe having skin in the game as well, right? If you're gonna go pitch that to investors. Oh, you have to. You have to have skin in the game to make that compelling so that the risk is shared and you know you're you're accepting and embracing that that return or those multiple levels of return in addition to to your investors. Adam. I think you kind of went over this. It's pretty, pretty spot. You made a really. Is it just They started
0: out like was <laughs> um, So I, yeah, let I me want, repeat. Yeah, go. Oh, sorry, uh, go ahead. You're
1: good. So, uh Adam asked, "You made a huge leap from from going from corporate America and 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 large public companies to uh to going out on your own, pioneering and starting your own company. What? Why did you do that?"
0: Because I wanted to try doing things upside down. I think as long as we think that for-profit companies have to, you know, I said, don't always be squeezing. I think if, if for-profit companies have to be making as much money as possible and investors have to be getting the biggest return as possible, Um, and then to feel good, cut a check to a non-profit, we're never going to solve, we got to cut checks to nonprofits. profits don't get me wrong, but we're never going to solve our problems. So what I was thinking is, you know, I'm working at all these public companies. They have no choice. It's the law. You have to maximize shareholder profit. I'm not a public company. I don't have to maximize shareholder profit. So I wanted to try that. I wanted to try it upside down. And if you do things for the right reason, my premise was if you build things the right way and do things the right reason, over the long term, you're going to end up doing as well as if you did a short term like merchant build or project. Um, It's just like pitching to investors, to family offices. Why send all your money to invest in all these businesses that you don't believe in, you don't care about, maybe are harming the environment, but then you're going to cut a check. Why not instead invest in this real estate project in Denver, in your home, that's going to provide some solutions to the things that you're seeing as a problem, and it's going to be built beautifully, and you're going to be proud to be an investor in it. You're going to be proud to go drink coffee there, you know it's the same thing. It's like trying to turn things on its head than the way they've always been done. You know, it's like, um, you know, a lot of people wondered why, why didn't Detroit go electric? Why was it Tesla? We have systemic issues that make it really difficult if you're on a winning tangent. So it'd be very difficult for an existing real estate company to flip. You have to be a startup because when you, when you are Detroit, and you are Ford, you're squeezing your profit and quarterly reporting to shareholders on how you're doing. If you're going to do something that's so opposite to that and so disruptive, you're going to be disrupting your core business. So you just, you just can't do it. You just, it's very, very difficult for big corporations to be disruptors. And I wanted to be a disruptor, I guess. <laughs> That was a long answer to come to I wanted to be a disruptor. <laughs> that
1: was a that was a great answer.
0: Becca. So, aside from your own developments, what are some of your favorite developments
1: around the city or in Colorado? What are some yeah. elements in those developments that really Yeah. Yeah. What are what are some of your favorite developments? Uh, that aren't yours in this city uh and state of Colorado that uh that you find really, really awesome and, and why? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And we don't have that many and ours are small. We're a very small fish. Um, but I think Dairy Block was really well done. I really liked the incorporation of the the old and the new and the alleyways. I'm all about alleyways. I mean, that is just unrealized real estate, isn't it? Um so my family's from Melbourne and in Melbourne is called laneway culture. So, you know, the laneways are where it's really happening, the bars and the cafes. And um so I really love that they did that.
1: The McWinnie crew in the audience will give you a hundred bucks later. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> sure. I thought Ramble Hotel was a great addition. You know, some architects might choose to differ. You know, they might say it's pastiche, yada, yada. But I actually think it was a really good addition for the community. Union Station is an absolute standout. I feel like when I went into Union Station the first time, I was like, oh, my God, I could be anywhere. I feel like it was the project that made Denverites believe in what they could do. So, so I thought that one was like city and state changing in a lot of ways. I thought it was just absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. So probably all the usuals.
1: <laughs> yep. And then you know, like already got the background. Yeah. Where are you, like, or just like, all express ready? Given your economic development background, what do you like or dislike about Colorado's Which economic strategy? development strategy? Oh,
0: our current economic development strategy? Um, well, I like it because it's kind of continued what I was doing. So I do like it. Um, I was focused quite a bit on rural, actually. Um, I was focused less on recruiting companies. So the big real estate developers here that are building, you know, 60,000 square feet and want a new company to fill it. I was not your gal. People, I believe economic development is best and it's stickiest when it's real and it's organic. And so I think there are a lot of companies to, and you have to have economic development. You've got to entice people to move to Colorado. you got to give them something, especially public companies. So they go back to their board of directors and say, yes, okay, well, Austin offered us this. We did get this little bit from Colorado, but such a better climate. So you got to give them something, but I think economic development at the state level is really interesting because that's just one piece of it. But then there was also Colorado Creative Industries, which was responsible for bringing in our creative districts like Santa Fe Art District, Rhino Art District, the Minority and Business Office, but Minority and Women's Business Office, Film and Television, Colorado Tourism Office. And so it was really interesting to work with all of those different drivers of um economic development and understanding how they all work together so um yeah i i collaboration is really important collaboration is incredibly important the state has very little money but collaborates very well with businesses and groups to help get things done the off we set up while i was there um i recruited someone to set up the office of outdoor recreation and so that's a part of it now too so i think what i like about our economic development is it's holistic it's about creating exciting, fun, vibrant places that people want to be. And then people come to that. Employers follow employees and employees go where they want to live now. You know, when I was growing up, you went to where the job was and it didn't matter. You know, now I think people are refusing to do that. Employers are following. So I think this, I think Colorado's strategy is super strong in that sense.
1: Awesome. We got time for one more, Blair.
0: Yes. And as far as Backyard and Blake you talk about the courtyard and yeah. no chains, only local business, um, and kind of creating that space. Mm-hmm. How does that translate to your office project? Are you doing anything differently or kind of outside of the box to kind of keep along that in any different asset type? That's a really good oh.
1: So on Backyard on Blake, you you sort of focused on uh on on local only in the courtyard. What are you doing? Uh, in the office project that, uh, you know, that reflects some of those same, uh, successful attributes of yeah. Backyard and Blake.
0: Really good question. And to be honest, I'll take the money from anyone who's willing to pay for an office suite because I got to make my payroll. Um, so have not thought about that. I think it's less important when it comes to office. Um, I think retail is really important because I think one of the reasons that we've had, you know, a 0% vacancy is our retail is all very experienti- experiential, experiential. And, um, you know, if people are going to leave their home, they want to go something, do something different. You know, people talk about Amazon proof. It's hard for just hard for chains to be Amazon proof, you know, especially in retail office. I don't know. I Yeah, you can convince me otherwise, but I'm happy to hear a pitch on it. But I, I think I'll just I'll just take the rent check.
1: <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Fiona. <laughs> really appreciate it. Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate yeah, it. Bet. Yeah, thanks.
0: Come have a drink, drink a room from Ellie, please.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to the NAP Colorado Developing Leadership Podcast. Also, please visit the NAF Colorado website and social media pages for updates on our next in-person event.